Escape from Plan A. Welcome to uh, Escape from Plan A, uh, Pandemic Plan A. Everyone's just uh, bunkered down at home, at least in here in New York. I'm still getting, um, you know, we're still under mandatory lockdown, so we're just doing some pods, having some fun. I've got some friends on. Doug Kim, how's it going, man? And uh, got a friend, Andre Domize. He's a contributing editor over at McLean's, um, Toronto-based writer, friend on Twitter. Yeah, I'm just, uh, I guess, like... Uh... I don't know, you could call me a jack of all trades once upon a time and I and I, I was involved in the investments industry, like in um in like uh, corporate investments. So I uh, you know, anything to do with like, you know, financial news and the business pages, I'm like that's usually the section that I open first. Uh and for the most part, like I I, I spoke uh and, and and wrote mostly about the intersections of like politics, race and culture and so forth, because that's also what I'm good at. Like my, you know, undergrad is in poli sci and i happen to uh be fairly cognizant of uh how politics and, and race do intersect but i think something that uh people don't really expect from me is that i actually know what i'm reading when i open the business pages and so i think you and i've had some pretty interesting conversations because i've seen some you know kind of scary leading indicators we've, we've talked about that and uh that's something that I, I really wished um a lot more people on the left would pay attention to is that you know the the sport of politics is it's a sport like it's it's a it's a football game practically um if you're really concerned with material conditions and you need to pay attention to uh what it is that uh, that business people are paying attention to what does the capitalist pay attention to yeah i think um i think at least there are some that finally realize that reading you know ft uh financial times is a pretty good yeah. practice um, it's expensive as hell for a membership but uh you know lucky enough that uh it's not setting me back too much to subscribe to financial times um but that's i, I read you know the financial times and uh foreign policy and the new york times and frankly i i not because i particularly enjoy any of those three publications but it's you you can generally get a sense of what it is that people who are making policy decisions are paying attention to just by reading those pages. Yeah. And uh, it is frustrating, I think, to sometimes see um, the way people uh, comment and make, you know, say things about politics or whatever it is that they're commenting on. It's free from the context that you would find, you know, like just not not really paying attention to like, for, for example, like what's going on uh, internationally in terms of, you know, escalating uh, this cold war with China, like people don't people now that they're talking about like the pandemic, uh, and all this stuff that's being said back and forth about China did this, China lied or, you know, what America did or what, like, they're not really understanding that we're in, this is part of a much longer and bigger confrontation that's been going on with China. And they just, everything that we, they say or do is just without that context. And I... Yeah, I mean, if you if you uh, <clears throat> if you look at the like the last you know thirty forty years of uh, you know American economic history, what's gradually been happening is that America has sort of <clears throat> outsourced its industrial capacity uh, to countries overseas, particularly in China, 
Um, and I, I kind of almost look at it like, uh, like the, I, I, it almost feels like the U.S. sees China as a, not necessarily an enemy, but like an upstart yet conquerable client state. Like there's still <laughs> this sort of condescending view that like, okay, but if we really just rolled our sleeves up, we could fuck them up real good. Because yeah. there, there is the, there is this you know uh, industrial capacity, um, there is uh, cheap labor available, but I think there's also like a little bit of like envy of what they like what they perceive to be as authoritarianism. Like any any you know serious columnist that writes about China will always throw the word authoritarianism, and probably if they're like super serious, they'll throw the word Confucianism in there too. But there's this <laughs> idea of like China as like these uh, these docile like uh, servile people that if they you just put strong people in power, they'll do whatever it is that you want. And I feel like there's almost like this this like fear yet envy. Like if we only had the ability to uh, control them the way that their own people control them, like we would just be unstoppable. So I don't see it necessarily as even a, a cold war. It's almost like there's just like this this limitless resource of human labor that's available. And if we could only find out like the right combination like or the, the, uh, uh, the right set of events to be able to take them over, we'd be fucking unstoppable. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense, um, given sort of the constraints on growth and expansion that we're seeing here in America. And I think part of it has to do with that, you know, Americans are seem to be we're just mad as hell and we're not going to take it anymore. I think the project of like, you know, just unchecked uh, expansion um, in America and more handing over of all wealth over to um, the private sector and the few corporations that um, dominate it while it's still happening and Amazon has become the first trillion dollar company, et cetera. I think we're seeing, especially now that there's going to be a lot of um, social and political uh, unrest because of that, you know, at least hopefully, I mean, personally, I like to see more, you know, we're starting to see labor shortage, like labor unrest and we're seeing strikes at, you know, Amazon, we're seeing strikes at a lot of the gig economy type employers that, you know, are just putting their people out there without protection. And uh, I'm seeing healthcare workers starting to think, you know, unless I have, you know, unless I'm protected, I don't know why I'm necessarily showing up every day. And yeah, I mean, I have health workers in my family and, you know, we're uh, <clears throat> luckily, I mean, there is a health worker that's very close to me. Uh, a doctor in, in New York uh, that did actually end up coming down with uh, with COVID. Uh, luckily, you know he's uh, not seriously affected. He is in recovery. He's obviously not working in the hospital. Um, I have uh, another doctor in the family who's working out in the prairies, and uh, he hasn't been affected yet. And there haven't been as many cases out in the prairies, but it's still like something that really it's it, it weighs on my mind a lot is you know what happens when the people who are close to you do start becoming affected and some of them don't make it through this is something that that's just really sitting on my psyche a lot yeah it's uh it's it, especially now i don't know i know toronto's not in such horrible shape and uh, andre's you're you're he's in toronto yeah um doug in la it's probably not you know um it's probably nothing like New York, but New York, the the growth rate of cases here is probably faster than any Aren't other. Aren't you outbreak. like in the dead center of where the yeah. uh, the U.S. outbreak is? 
Yeah, oh, in, yeah, in Elmhurst. In Seattle. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. So you're like right in the you're right in the shit. I'm four blocks from that hospital that, you know, where where, you know, it's the hardest hit hospital in New York City. So yeah, I'm I, yeah. I'm very like ground zero here in terms of like what's, what what's, what's kind of your take on that team like like why do you think it's worse in New York than it was in like a lot of these other cities? Like even like it seems to be worse than even like any European city, really. It's just kind of like is it just the population density? And I I think it's it? our I think it's our crowded subways. I think the reason okay, yeah. why it's spreading is because we have crowd very very crowded subways, and you know the the crowding in New York City. It's not just the density of the city itself, which is probably not helping, but right. it's that we have like a very uh, crowded subway system that on any given day has far more riders than it can actually handle. So we pack ourselves into this thing like sardines and um, it's totally crowded. So I think it's going through the subways and it's still, it's still happening. Still crowded like today. Yeah. They're still crowded. Yeah. People still use the subway. Like they haven't locked that shit down. No, it's only, they've, there's only a 25% reduction in service. And because of that reduction, uh, because remember, you know, it's all about, it's not about total number of trains and total number of people on a given day. It's how right. they get, uh, what times they get into the system. And we all get into the subway at the same time, right? So it's still being, you know, extremely crowded during, you know, work rush hours. And, you know, uh, essential services still have to run, right? And so a lot of people yeah. are still packing in. And by oh, essential wow. services, I mean people that are doing, you know, the just basic you know, running of, you know, picking, hauling trash, working at, you know, food shops, uh, you know, uh, security, police, all that stuff still got to run. And we take the subway for that. And someone posted a video the other day of the New York uh, City subway. It's still crowded. It's completely crowded and no one's wearing a mask. That was, yeah, it was wild. I was seeing pictures of, uh, you know, the New York City subway, but also like, you know, in in uh, in England, uh, like their their tube is still crowded. Like, it, I mean, depending on which line you're looking at, like uh, some of the lines that go to the wealthier neighborhoods are not me. obviously, but that is wild. But I mean, people still have to go to work. Like, what do you right. if you're if you're if you're working in a job that can't be done remotely and you don't live close to your workplace? Well, how do you get from one place to the next? And for I mean, back to the point about you know the uh, the Amazon workers, but also like the uh, the healthcare sector workers, etc. I mean, this is why they're starting to take labor action because they're exposing themselves to a high risk of contracting right. this virus, not just they on should, their work sites, but getting to and from. Yeah, they should maybe like probably temporarily stagger some people's work hours so that like, you know, you know, X amount of people use subway at that time, whatever, you know, like something. Because like my first thought when I was like thinking about New York, I was like, oh, they're probably going to shut the, the MTA down, like, because, you know, that's probably the going to be the hotbed of all this disease spreading. But <laughs> now that I've learned that it's like still running and, and they don't even have like 100% capacity, I'm just kind of like, yeah, no wonder it's spreading. Like, this is, <laughs> it's just yeah. a disaster. You can't, but, but you can't in New York, and I think they're, they're just, they're perp- they know this. I think everyone kind of like, this is the thing that if you watch the uh, news about it um, or you watch Cuomo's briefings, which are turning grotesque in a way, like I, at first I was like, yeah, Cuomo's really, you know, he's the man. Now he's like, he's going on there going, I'm so proud of my baby brother. 
you know, um, let's talk Is about it? feelings. Chris Cuomo, his brother Chris yeah, Cuomo. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was watching. I was watching the two of them like having an interaction, and I'm like, am I, am I, am I fucking dreaming right now? Like, did I? Did I contract COVID myself and maybe this is just a coma dream that I'm I'm watching the Cuomo's interview each other? Like, this is like, I feel like in in any in any like uh like modern and fucking civilized society, this should never be allowed to happen. Like you should never have somebody who's working in media and somebody who's working in politics and they intersect <laughs> not only not only in terms of like their professions, but in terms of their family. They're not supposed to be this open with this. <laughs> And it's, uh, it, I saw like you remember those like Italian like comedians who made that terrible Wuhan virus video or Kung Fu flight fighting video. Like God, one yeah, of them, yeah, yeah, yeah. The ring, yeah. the ringleader girl was like, "Oh my God!" Like Cuomo is like, like I'm, a, I'm a Cuomo sexual or something. And I was like, "Oh my God, is that a thing?" Oh, fucking <laughs> oh, oh yeah, people are horny for Cuomo, you know. Uh, Which is actually pissing me off because I'm seeing a lot of like <laughs> I'm seeing a lot of black people. Uh, I'm I for the most part they're not New Yorkers so I can kind of mm. understand it but there are a lot a, a lot of black people who are uh, either like politically adjacent or they work <laughs> in media or they're just basically like the blue check black class and they're saying uh. well when is when is Cuomo gonna run for president and I'm like are you out of your fucking mind do you understand that like during this crisis he's pushing an austerity agenda he's cutting he's cutting access to Medicaid he rolled back uh, the cash bail amendments. So not only is it easier for you to end up in jail now than it, than it was when he took the governorship. Uh, so for even misdemeanors, you can be jailed. But on, on top of that, if you don't have the ability to make bail, then you end up at fucking Rikers Island. Guess where the like one of the fastest outbreaks in any prison in America is happening is in Rikers fucking Island. You know, people yeah. are being it's basically like if you're there, it could effectively be a death sentence that you're in. Rikers. So all these conversations that we had about Khalif Browder, these conversations that we had about Black Lives Matter, these conversations we had about police brutality and the carceral state and all that, it's like, but you know people are full of shit because if if uh, Bill de Blasio and Andrew Cuomo, who have the ability to release prisoners from Rikers, uh, right now, they, I guess he had worked on getting some of the older prisoners released, but the fact is, uh, I believe it was something to the effect of 75% of people who are held at Rikers are there because they couldn't afford bail. And it's something to the order of like 40% of prisoners in Rikers are black people. What the fuck? Yeah. Are you a black person saying that you want Cuomo to run for president? Like, do you have no connection to your people whatsoever? This Okay, yeah. this is a good segue into a topic I want to I raise, uh, which is Andrew Yang. Uh, speaking of people running for president. And uh, I think that this is a talk, this you know a lot of this is this is funny. It's like he comes out with this op-ed in the Washington Post, and I think we all read it. And yep. I was I, when I read it, I was like, uh, this this is this is pretty bad. This is you know Andrew Yang. I mean, I, I never supported Andrew Yang, so I was like, this yeah. is typical Andrew Yang and his uh, race, you know, his race appeasement strategy, blah blah blah. And I was like, you know, ugh. I'm prepared for people to be like, thank you, Andrew Yang, for speaking up, you know, and then I go online and he's just getting ripped apart, ripped apart by Asian people. <laughs> oh, you know, like, what's wild. You know, what's wild, though, is that I saw a bunch of I saw a bunch of like white people retweeting this article and saying like, yeah, absolutely. And they're they're basically trying to make make it seem as though like Asian people are people, too. So, you know, we got to treat them like Americans. And they're retweeting this article. I'm like, no, you like you're completely missing the point here. He's. 
in a way, he's almost saying that in order for uh, an Asian person to be seen as American, you have to do extra work. So you're actually yeah. like you're propagating the problem by by retweeting this and, yeah. and hailing this guy up. Oh, there were yeah. definitely a lot of like white Andrew Yang supporters. I was telling all the way to fuck off. <laughs> I was on Twitter just telling all of them to fuck off because like getting flambéed like, by a bunch of adventures. white people. Yeah, so if you like, yeah. if if you follow Andrew Yang uh, like I did because I got very interested in his particular brand of racial politics, and you, I've noticed that there's a pattern that he does, like. Here's a typical example. He was asked by Anna Cabrera in a uh, CNN town hall. She asked him about um, the 18-year timeline that he was proposing for uh, immigration reform that would allow undocumented workers currently in the country to become naturalized citizens. It would take 18 years. And the the reaction from um, immigration activists was that's a long fucking time. You know, that's a very long time that, you know, even like, you know, one fuck up in 18 years will just, you know, like, uh, you know, so she asked him about it and said, you know, what do you think about that? And he did. This is the Andrew Yang judo move because, you know, he goes, I'm, you know, as an Asian American and the son of immigrants myself, I understand what it's like to be, you know, on the margins. I understand what it's like to. I'm like no, no, you don't, because your 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 father came here probably, you know, on a you know on a high like an on an education visa, and then was sponsored by a company, IBM, you know, like and then naturalized as you know like a high skilled employee here in, in America. So, but anyway, he he uses race to say like, all right, I understand what it is like to be an immigrant. My parents were immigrants. My father was a peanut farmer in Taiwan, which is not true. Wait, like, uh, wait. Is that even true? Like, yeah, yeah. Dad, exactly. His dad was not a peanut farmer. Get the fuck out of here. No. Was he really? Okay. No, it's bullshit. Like, his father has a PhD in computer science, and if he stayed in Taiwan, he'd probably be the head of, like, the computer science department at a university or something. I mean, give me a yeah. fucking break. I mean, <laughs> Taiwan has a more advanced, you know, te- uh, technology sector than, than America does uh, when it comes to that stuff. Anyway, so he, he'll, he'll say stuff like that, and then he'll say... Um, and then he says, and then he'll, he'll start shading into where he wants to really go with this. And he'll say, you know, when I was at the VFA, which is that, you know, that startup foundation thing that he did that no one understands, he was, he's like, I, I always, you know, rooted for the underdog. And I always found myself because I was the Asian kid in class, the only Asian kid in school. I always found myself, um, you know, on the side of the of the marginalized, the people who didn't have a voice and at these VS and blah, blah, blah. And then he'll get all cute with it. And he's like, that's why I'm a Mets fan because you know, the Mets are always the underdog. And then he says, you know, who else is the underdog now? The American working class. And I think that, you know, and then he starts talking about UBI and I'm like, none of this has anything to do with the 18 year timelines for immigration. But what it does do is basic. I was like trying to remember what the question was. I was like, what was the question again? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and then I, once I found this to uh, be the thing, he that's what he does all the time and because people are always asking him about race. And then I think, Andre, do you know like Vice has like, I think it's called like the Black and Brown Caucus. Or I forgot what it's called, but it's like they have all of the candidates come and ask uh, be be grilled by um. I think it's like two black moderators, like young black, younger black guys. Yeah. Uh, on questions of race, and they ask pretty hard hitting questions, and they don't really let you squirm out of them. <laughs> Andrew Yang went on there, and he was doing the same thing. He was like, you know, they asked them, 
how uh how he squares having like white nationalist supporters and stuff and he he uses his race he goes that's surprising to me because if you look at me i don't look like the poster boy for white white supremacy and then he gets laughs like people laugh at that so he disarms everyone and then he was like i think that white nationalism is something that happens because of economic anxiety and so that's why i want to give race you know that's exactly what he did in that op-ed that's I would the, say okay. That, I, I would sorry. Go go ahead, Doug. Go ahead. No, I mean like that's that's kind of like the crux of it. I think there's a there's a part of his ideology that um, I think is that is is he he. I I actually don't think this is kind of like a mask off moment because like I think he has been kind of consistent with this all along, where um, his kind of idea is that like racism is all about misunderstanding and it's all about like you know if if everyone just knew you know how the other side lived we would all get together and all sing kumbaya and you know but i think this is just a very elementary school understanding of racism and and i think he like ignores the fact that throughout history racism was like a system that was in place specifically for the subjugation of another race or the exploitation of another race and like without unpacking what that means i think you kind of like lose all of your you know credibility you lose all of your like kind of whatever it is when it comes to talking about race but yeah i don't know when you i would say that um there is a purpose being served when you allied class that way like when and 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 there are uh well-known black people who are known for doing this too which is that you know they'll come from a background where they may not have had to deal with like class-based vicissitudes until later in their life like maybe when they went off to university and they didn't have like an income from their parents or when they first started working but you know probably grew up in like suburban areas probably you know had very supportive families that paid for what they needed but then there's this like cachet that they try to gain by casting themselves as oh well i'm the marginalized other so therefore i know what it's like and it's like no no the fuck you don't know what it's like like you 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 grew up you were just fine your parents paid for whatever it was that you needed you probably went to a really nice school you lived in in a nice neighborhood but when you encounter racism let's say at this predominantly white colleges you go to or in the uh, the workplace that you've uh, just been hired into and now people are starting to let you know what they believe that your place is now all of a sudden you can identify with the ethnic strife like this is like um i haven't exactly come up with a word for it yet but i i know that my, my boy t from champagne sharks probably will at some point come up with a word for it but it's like they like they they put on the cloak of marginalization to get that cachet with their intended audience like Oh, but I know what it's like to be when they say like I know what it's like to be black. There's like a, a silent <laughs> poor poor that goes along with it. But it's like so they will pretend that there's no such thing as a, as tra- as class stratification within black communities. The automatic assumption is that all black people are thereby poor. All black people have lived hard lives. So they'll step into those shoes for a minute. But then once they have the ability to get people to listen to them, like once they have uh, been hired into a certain position or they're elected to a certain office or whatever, they get a little bit of power and white people are listening to them. Then suddenly like the, the class uh, awareness just disappears. It just, it goes up in fucking smoke and they're no longer interested in aligning with oh, the class that they pretended, they pretended to be a part of. Now they're interested in aligning with the like predominant a, narrative. Yeah. 
you you think that they kind of like bootstrap using minorities and like people who suffer and then once they get into the like echelon of like white support they're like okay we don't need these guys anymore exactly um, exactly yeah yeah off, it's almost like, like, like a, a rocket ship jettisoning off the, like, i was weight. i was just gonna say like the their their marginalized uh origin story is like the launch pad but once they've like yeah. escaped orbit like they never look back towards earth again Right, I, I have right. a slightly, uh, I have a slightly different take on on some of these people on and how they do it. Um, and in particular, having followed Andrew Yang, I, I think what's going on with Yang in particular is he gave a he gave a video he gave a speech that um, was was recorded um, a while uh, before his campaign kicked off, and he was addressing uh, a Chinese American group, and he he was very different in that and he said that um he felt that the trade war and the administration's um you know trump administration's uh view of china as you know enemy number one was going to lead to an increase in hate crimes he said that he wouldn't be surprised if we saw a you know a a target a mass shooting of you know an asian uh, space the way we saw one with um, I think he 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 had mentioned the shooting of a synagogue I forgot what state I think it was uh, Tennessee or something I forgot oh. exactly what state that happened in well the shooting at the, uh, the shooting at the synagogue or yeah the shooting at the synagogue and he he would say because this was wasn't right that after in, that happened wasn't that in Pennsylvania Pennsylvania yeah yeah and he had said that um, he wouldn't have been uh, be surprised if the rhetoric that Trump was have been pushing about China would lead to something like that. So he he was very he seems to be actually very aware of the precarious racial position of Asian Americans. And I read right. Yang. Oh no no! Don't get me wrong. Like the people who will do that bootstrapping story are also very cognizant of the history of anti-black oppression. They're very cognizant of white supremacy, and oftentimes they will like wrap their rhetoric. Uh, they'll wrap their policy recommendations. Their language is entirely steeped in that radical history. This is actually something that that uh, like people are having like online debates about now. Is that a lot of people who uh, you know a lot of people who use the rhetoric of black radicalism and the rhetoric of black liberation? They are familiar enough with the language that they can just sort of like counterfeit their actual political beliefs under that radicalism and the liberation beliefs, like Michael Eric Dyson, for example, right? And he got he's been called out on this several times. Like he, you know, he endorsed Joe Biden in 2016. He endorsed Hillary Clinton. And people are like, "What the fuck is wrong with you, dude?" And the problem with that was that Michael Eric Dyson was somebody who, you know, in in his uh, uh, in the 90s through the early 2000s was seen as a like a leadership figure, somebody who did understand the, the liberation struggle and so on. But he parrots very centrist sort of milk toast, like aspirational America points of view. He's the same guy that after Bill Maher got in trouble for the umpteenth time uh, saying the N word. He was the first dude that went on Bill Maher's show to rehabilitate. I remember him that. Yeah, and ended up getting a panel spot on a show. You know, he he wrote like uh, some lengthy. I forget if it was like on Facebook or Twitter, but he wrote a lengthy screed on social media saying, "Well, you know, everybody makes mistakes and yada yada yada." So he goes on Bill Maher's show. He gives him a light rap on the wrist, and then ends up getting hired as a contributor. After uh, man, I forget who it was that uh, there was somebody else that that kind of took Bill Maher to task and ended up getting let go from the panel. But anyway, uh, there's there there are people who can counterfeit that language, but they don't have any interest 
in those issues beyond just bringing them up to bring them up to disarm people and say, Hey, I understand what this is like. And I get that. I get that sense from Andrew Yang that he understands what it is that uh, Asian Americans who don't have the wealth and privilege to mostly escape these interpersonal racist encounters. He he understands what it's like for, for most people that are, I would say like the more invisible class, like not the people that you would think of immediately when you think Asian American, but I don't think he has any real interest in ameliorating their conditions. I think he just uses that as a cover story to disarm people when he's asked tough questions about, okay, so what does UBI solve when you pay somebody a thousand dollars a month, but they still can't afford their healthcare premium? or they still have a hard time getting a job, or it's still really easy for them to get fired. Like basic income is basic income, but there are a multitude of arguments why basic income is not necessarily a good policy, but he'll blow that off behind a whole lot of bromides about his Asian American upbringing. Or like to your point, he'll talk about white supremacy and now the increasing amount of anti-Asian hate crimes that are happening I think uh, Tini brought up a few days ago on social media that there was an actual completed murder. And I think he under- he understands that, but I don't think he, I don't know that he has, has any real interest in ameliorating. Or I think he has more of an interest in letting people off the hook because it helps his personal brand. That he's, right. he's like, he's, he's seen as the healer. Like I kind of see him as the, the Michael Eric Dyson in that sense. Yeah. I, I, I think that's, I think it's, sh- I, I definitely think he's a careerist. And that he's his primary um, his primary motivation is himself, but I think it's always both, right? And I think that if you were to see, I read that op-ed to say if he didn't say that stuff so loudly and proudly in public, a lot of the things that he was saying was like perfectly acceptable things that I think people should be talking about with each other. Like right now, I would not advise my friends to be. You know, like I, I have a friend. I was talking to my friend. He lives in Florida, which is not yeah. exactly a safe haven for Asian people. And he has a white wife, so I'm like, Florida. that's going to draw a lot of attention to you. Like in South and, Florida, North Florida, or because I, I, yeah, sorry, South South Florida, but like not Miami. You know, like north of that. Yeah. yeah and yeah. Um, it is Trump country there. And I said, look, um, I don't know, man. Maybe put on a MAGA hat or something. <laughs> like you know, like you know. I, I I was like, you don't want to draw attention to yourself in, in Florida. No, you know I was I mean? actually um, – okay, so I, I used to live in Lake Worth, Florida. That's actually where I graduated high school. And a few days ago, a uh, Bernie Sanders campaign office was uh, uh, vandalized with swastika spray paint. And when I made note of it, I said, I went to high school right around the corner from where this happened. Like I could literally walk probably 10 minutes down the road – from my high school to where the office was or is rather. And somebody says, I can't believe this is actually happening in Lake Worth. And I said, are you fucking kidding me? Stormfront was, was uh, begun by a Lake Worth local. Like- oh, I know where Lake Worth is. This is just, um, yeah. Cause my, actually my friend used to live in Lantana, which is right near. So I know exactly where fact, Lake Worth yeah, is. The- <laughs> yeah. 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 I, where I started high school um, was actually uh, uh, at Santa Lucia's. And uh, the uh, uh, former Patriots player, Vince Wolfwork, was uh, one of my classmates. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I know exactly where that is. That's a See, that's a weird area. That's near, that's, that's near West Palm, right? Like West Palm Beach. 
and sort that's... of like the it's all the same area really like west palm beach and like mm-hmm. lantana and lake like these are basically just like sort of suburbs of yeah, yeah. the palm beach area yeah yeah um yeah and like in that environment um you know i think that is an example of some like an asian american that i mean you know that that needs to kind of watch their back a little bit right now because that's not Queens, New York, you know, that's not the San Gabriel Valley or Los Angeles. That's it's a different. No, this is, these are people that, you know, drive around with, you know, Confederate uh, decals on their vehicles or, you know, when I went to high school, I went to high school a long time ago. It was like more than 20 years ago, but kids would come to school with Confederate belt buckles. You know, the, the, the school where I graduated was one of the last schools in the County to desegregate. Like this is not, it's not the most friendly area for, uh, especially because uh, the the ethnic makeup tends to be, it's I call it Neapolitan ice cream. It's just white, black, Hispanic. Like that's sort of the overall ethnic makeup. It's nothing like New York City. It's nothing like Toronto, Canada. It's, it's very um, like tricultural. So anybody who exists sort of to the margins of that, if you are like South Asian or East Asian and so forth, people from those backgrounds are almost like an, they're seen as an oddity. Like that's at least how it was when, when I went to school there. I know, I know what that, you, I know what you're talking more. about for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I definitely feel that when I'm there because like white in that area is like a concentrated Southern kind of white. It's not like New York city, like diluted out white. It's like, yeah. it's pretty white. You know? <laughs> no, it's like, it's like if you, I call, I call South Florida, like the grease trap of America. Like if you tilted America <laughs> to one side and all the gunk just were to like flow and, and concentrate in one area, that would be, <laughs> that would be Palm Beach County. <laughs> it's it's a trip though. You know, I gotta say I do enjoy going down there because it is so American. Like you really I feel like I'm in much more in touch with the real America when I'm in South Florida in a way. <laughs> then like things like CNN and Fox News make a lot more sense when I'm down there. You know, like um the stuff that city people are always like, Yeah, what is this shit? People was America going crazy and then you go to South Florida, you're like, Oh, it all makes sense. Makes but, sense, yeah. So but but Andrew Yang, my read on him is because he he grew up in Rochester, New York. And he oh, didn't grow up. No, actually, he grew up in Somers. I, I, I was looking up his biography because um, uh-huh. I'm writing something about him. But he grew up actually in oh. Westchester County, which is uh, oh, right near okay. me. Oh, interesting. Uh, well, that changes things a bit. Okay. He grew up like literally thirty, like 20 to 30 minutes away from where I live. Um, I see. I see. He was born in Schenectady, which is near... Mm-hmm. Um, it's near Albany, but he, he grew up in Westchester County. Oh, maybe he was born in Rochester then, or something like that. Yeah, or okay, he was so born near that area, like that makes sense because if his yeah, because if his dad worked at IBM, then he was definitely that's an R monk, right? So he was definitely yeah. I, I guess he couldn't be as far as Rochester. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but I t- I guess what I'm saying is I think like Andrew Yang is kind of saying the uh, soft part loud and the loud part, you know. He's not saying the loud, the, the loud part at all. He's, he's saying the soft part loud, you know? And, you know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, like, look, you got you to gotta try and fit in this point. It's kind of dangerous out there. You don't necessarily want to. I mean, I think that's, that's advice that a parent would give their child. I think that's the test is, like, you know, would you, would you tell your child to, you know, um, you know, wear clothing that is like recognizably american you know don't be fobby like that's not terrible advice Mm. it just it just reminds me of like oh like 
you need to tell your daughter not to wear slutty clothing if if she doesn't want to be raped or something. Yeah, like you can't say that, you know, like loud. You can't go in the you know Washington Post and write stuff like you know if girls don't want to get raped, they really shouldn't wear revealing clothing. You can't say that. But you would every every look everyone who would be mad about an op ed like that is definitely telling their own daughters to watch out because it's good advice, right? right? Um, but you don't want to be – you don't go into the Washington Post. I think that's the problem with him is like he just – you know, he, he's just going with his gut instinct and, and he's, he's explaining to people how he's survived and how he's thrived, this, the strategies and, and ways he sees the world. But I don't think that that's something that Asian Americans really need to hear more of because I think it's kind of like um, – Andre, do you remember like back in the day when Bill Cosby, I think he gave a few speeches that were like, I remember they were very controversial because he was basically, and he was telling this to an entirely black audience. So actually it's a bit different than what Andrew Yang said, but he was basically saying like, you know, don't to black youth, like don't be so threatening, you know, like don't, you gotta like clean up the way you dress, clean up the way you talk and you've, you know, you, you can't use, you know, AAVE the way you all do and white people don't understand what you're saying and you got to clean it up. And I, that didn't go over well from what I remember. Speech. What's that? Are you talking about the pound cake speech? Maybe. Yeah, I, I don't know what, if that's the so one. What, but... what, what, what was Tyrone doing with that pound cake when he got shot in the head? Like that, that whole like the reason that we're doing so terribly in this country is because we raise our kids with no values. That fucking speech like that he, was... Yeah, that, I think that was sort of like the um, like the 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 leading indicator of his downfall. Like that's when uh, there was a lot of people who actually I think that's that's the one. Yeah, a lot of people I think uh, from that like '80s and '90s mindset that believed that black people were the cause of their own problems and they were their own biggest enemies. I think that speech was sort of the break between the people who had adopted that that mindset in the '80s and '90s. And people who are just like absolutely the fuck not like this. These are there are systemic problems behind this. We need to talk more about those because leading us in this direction means that no matter what it is that gets done to us, our deaths will always be justified if it's by a vigilante or the hands of police and so forth. And I, I think that that was sort of like the. Um, it, I mean, it didn't immediately get followed by Black Lives Matter, but I think the conversations that began to be had after that speech became wildly popular, kind of led us in that direction. I, I think that's yeah, and I think that there were hints of that going on with the Andrew Yang thing, where it was like, you know, he never he. I mean, he's literally talking about he's he goes with his family to the grocery store, and three white, shady looking white dudes in hoodies are kind of staring him down, and he was like, "When that happens, I'm thinking what we need to do is like maybe give them a thousand bucks and start thinking about their pain, you know, like we need to make them feel comfortable, and you know, I don't know, put on a Put on a UCLA shirt. I don't know. Like, uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if you've read his book. Have you read his book? Yeah, yeah, I, I have. have yeah. Oh my god, the Warren. It was like the most bromide-filled piece of shit book. It was terrible. Uh, oh my, it was. The thing was like, I, 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 at first thought like he had to have ghostwritten this, and the more I, I hear him talk, the more I'm like, no, he actually probably did write this, and that's that's really sad. Uh, well, he has a very um, a way of trying to explore our cultural difference by exploring our sameness so even like 
uh, throughout the course of the book, like he talks about, uh, you know, the number of employees that work for Apple and Facebook and so forth and breaks them down by demographics and so on. Then he'll look at, okay, so what are the rates of like high school graduation, having university education? What are the rates of employment for non-Hispanic whites, for white people, for Asian Americans, black people and so forth? And it's like he has the information in front of him, but what does he do with it? He doesn't examine systemic reasons why different groups have different outcomes what he kind of does is say well for the average person in america you know their quality of life is degrading because they hate their jobs but a taxi worker can you know daydream about opera or you know a, a cash re a register clerk at the retail uh, you know the, uh, the local electronics store could be thinking about writing a book and it's like yeah fucking and like there's, there's there's nothing i was able to take from the book that was useful in any way, but he kind of leads it towards the uh, the necessity of universal basic income. Like this is the crescendo that he's working towards. Um, and he doesn't use any of the preceding information to build the case for UBI, except for when people get really dissatisfied, they rebel. Like he actually says, you know what, you know, what's really expensive. He's talking about like the expense of UBI and you know, how are we going to afford this? Right. But you know, what's really expensive revolution. You didn't like you didn't actually build a case for how people arrive at revolutions or what happens within the course of a revolution. You're just like people are humans. Humans uh, don't have their material conditions met. This meets their material conditions, and if you don't do this, therefore revolution. I, it was just the most disjointed piece of shit book I think I've, I've read in the last ten years. Yeah, I think the the the, the way that I um, first of all, I think a lot of the things that he refers to as automation and the because what he does, what he's saying basically is Silicon Valley has done its job so well, um, and they're so good at what they do that you know the coming ten years or whatever we're going to see massive job losses because of just the sheer uh, technological advancements that are happening, uh, which isn't true. First of all, the self-driving car thing is way overblown. If you talk to, if you listen to any real uh, AI researcher, they've all said that self-driving cars, they're not going to happen. We're at least not like, you know, self-driving car without a person sitting in the driver's seat uh, monitoring what's going on. They said that it, this is vaporware. The fact that people think that they can bring this technology to market anytime soon is all bullshit. It's all hype. It's all corporate hype. And in fact... Uh, I believe both Tesla and Uber have been sued by shareholders um, for making false statements about this in their uh, in their um, public disclosures that they've been misleading the public into how close this technology is to being actually commercially viable. It's nowhere near being close. So he he relies on a lot of bullshit tropes about how all the truckers are about to lose their job in the next ten years. They're not going yeah. to. Okay. Well, uh, the, but the thing is, the, the the funny part is, like, you wouldn't see him as a. Um I don't know if you really describe him as a leftist. He's sort of like a uh, like a libertarian kind of left-ish person. Yeah. But what he's describing in this book is like there's another bullshit book that I read recently called "Fully Automated Luxury Communism," but in a way they're they're like bizarrely making the same argument that technology will replace the need for human labor. And as we're seeing now, we're nowhere even close to that point. I think when um, functioning economies and uh, uh, like uh, global interdependence kind of mask the underlying weaknesses. And then you have uh, a disaster like the COVID pandemic 
that sort of strips away all that artifice and reveals the uh, the contradictions inherent to the system, but also reveals the underlying weaknesses, like the fact that there are still subway tunnels being crack, uh, packed full of commuters who do have to get to places to do work to do that work keeps yeah. society functioning. Yeah, yeah. You would think that if we got close, we were pretty that that close to the singularity of a fully automated uh, economy, which is bullshit. That COVID nineteen would be have no economic effect. We would all just stay home and the machines would do the work. That's not how it works. It- yeah, you know what? It, what it, you know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of like kind of like the idea of American exceptionalism, and I think this is kind of like an idea that like from childhood we are drilled in like 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 America's number one, America's great, America, all this stuff like that we're hearing about like make America great again. That was like that isn't also a new idea either. It's like something that from childhood I think like we're always taught that. And so like I think I think like with Andrew Yang, like it is this kind of like idea that like of American exceptionalism that like Whenever something goes wrong in America, it can't be America's fault. It has to be someone else's fault. So in in Trump's case, it, it, it was like you know it was the immigrants, it was it was the the minorities. They're taking your jobs or whatever. And with with Andrew Yang, it is it, you know it's it's the robots. And with Bernie, it's like the billionaires, right? So it's just kind of like it's a very effective strategy to scapegoat something for a problem because like Americans will latch on to that. Americans will be like, yeah, that's the issue. Like, it's not me. It's like that. That's the problem. That's the issue that's that's going on. And that's why I think like Bernie's kind of that campaign campaign has been pretty successful because it was like, oh, it's not the immigrants. It's the billionaires. Like you 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 provide an, an effective like scapegoat for all the problems that are ailing America. And it's just kind of like I think with today's current political like climate, that's like an effective strategy to kind of like get a whole bunch of people on your side. I don't know. Okay. To your point about, uh, cause I, I, I do want to um, flag this uh, item that you, you talked about labor where, you know, machines within, let's say a hundred years, you know, machines may um, replace human labor. Right. Okay, so anybody who knows me from these Twitter streets knows that I'm I'm a socialist. Like I'll just come out and say it. Like I'm a Pan African sure. socialist, right? And although I don't necessarily think that Marx had all the answers, he had. I mean, the conversation about labor is a very Marxian conversation. I mean, mm-hmm. Das Kapital was a was a tremendous volume that was written for the purpose of explaining the relations of labor value and capitalism. Um, one, he says that you know, bef- before there were tailors people were wearing clothes uh you know before the steam engine people were plowing the fields with mules there's always going to be some form of labor that's made easier by the machine the machine doesn't replace the human labor it just means that the labor is displaced and uh the cost benefit like the the dropping of the cost that happens when you introduce a machine to make a labor task easier or perhaps even automated that the 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 capture of that goes to the person who owns the means of production, the uh, the capitalist. But that doesn't right, right, mean right, right. it doesn't mean that there's like an equilibrium uh, between the uh, the worker and the employer. It doesn't mean that, for example, you know, rather than uh, one worker operating, say, like two spinning jennies, he they they only have to use one because uh, machine labor has made the job easier. Well, no, what it means is that there's just more more output. Like there's just more work that ends up getting done. It doesn't make the worker's life easier. It just means the worker does more, like is able to create more output with the assistance of machines. And even in the case where machines 
uh, let's say that machine replaces human labor in one area. It's just displaced elsewhere. Somebody still has to make the machine. And we're seeing that, uh, with, or not, not to make the machine, but create the value. So there are, uh, there's rampant exploitation of children. There's rampant exploitation of more marginalized workers. I'm thinking, for example, of like, I don't know if you heard of Lily Tay, this uh, kid Instagram star from Vancouver, Canada. And she was like this young foul mouth lady and she was making these videos. And basically like it was, her mom was kind of behind this. Like her mom was like, Oh, I do remember her, this. Yeah. yeah, yeah I do yeah, remember yeah. Her, her mom, like, and that's, that's the thing. Wasn't like, her mom Asian or something? Yeah. 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 And um, she got like, she was a viral sensation. She was actually on the cover of the magazine that I write for. Uh, and I, I saw that as to, to me, that's just straight up labor exploitation because a lot of young people have it in their heads that they are going to become Instagram or TikTok influencers. Like the idea of becoming a social media influencer is now a profession. Like there were surveys right. that were done last year asking kids in various countries what they want to be when they grow up. And in North America, Instagram influencer was like one of the top desired professions. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a yeah, job. Yeah. So uh, her, her mom displaced the labor. Like she exploited her own child using an advanced technology that apparently made them money, but to me, it was still labor exploitation. But also uh, kids in the Democratic Republic of the Congo that are like mining coltan with like their bare skins and hands and coming down with horrific diseases as a result of exposure to the toxic compounds that they used to leach uh, the, uh, the the coltan out of the earth. So there's like, you're, you're not going to see a replacement of human labor with machines what you're going to see is a displacement of labor to a place where you can't see it and is probably even worse than what we have right now yeah uh yeah I, I don't think there's any sort of um what is it uh uh utopia at the end of this uh process um and i think i should be clear i mean i think ubi and the and the sort of like government redistribution of wealth is a good idea or necessary. I think it's a necessary idea, mm. but I think that if you dug into the, there's specific things about the way Andrew Yang had uh, promoted it. And I think one of the things that I really didn't like was one, he would go around selling his version of UBI. The first thing a lot of like skeptical white people would ask him is do non-citizens get it? I mean, they love asking that question when they want to do oh, yeah. Medicare for all. They're like, well, non-citizens get it. Yep. And he was very proud to say, no, I don't think non-citizens will get it. Because this needs to be something for Americans, right? Yeah. Which yeah. is a very fucked up thing to say. But, and then he would say, in the well, what about people in prison, like serving time for crimes? Are you going to give yeah. them money? No, we're not going to give them money. Uh, you know, and what about people who are already receiving, you know, welfare? You know, people who are getting like food stamps and on welfare. He's like, no, you know, they won't get it. They're going to have to <laughs> surrender all those benefits before they get it. You, you notice how, like, you know, the more questions you get asked, you're starting to, like, you're winnowing off the edges of um, people of various backgrounds. So the question that they're really – I mean, team, like, you fully understand this, and I know why you're, you're walking us through the paces here. But what they're really asking is, is this going to be for white people or, like, these undeserving brown <laughs> – Exactly. Are these because... – 
fucking leech is gonna get it or what? Yeah, because if it's not for, you know, the right people, it's called welfare, and we don't like welfare. But if it's, right. like, for white people, we call it UBI, which is, like, this shiny new thing that's really cool, and this Asian dude from <laughs> Silicon Valley is proposing it, you know? Yeah, I know. Welfare for and white I, people is UBI. You know? It's almost, like, it's almost the same way that, um, like, white people were just, like, loving this dude, Herman Cain, um, back in the 2000... Uh, the Godfather's well, Pizza guy? Yeah, 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 yeah. People loved Herman Cain uh, with that 999 plan. Because and it, and that was sort of on on the other side of it, right? It was on the uh, the taxation side, not on, on the uh, the compensation side. But people absolutely loved him, and he was leading the pack for a little while uh, in the Republican primary. And one of the reasons that he ended up flaming out was because uh, apparently he had had an affair with a former employee or something to that effect. But you know the the um, the infidelity was what took him out, not necessarily his policies. But he was surging ahead because it, I mean this, this was sort of the flip side of it was that. White people felt that they were being overtaxed to cover the vagaries of the welfare state, and if we could just be taxed less, then we, like we would be doing fine, rather than money coming out of our hard-earned pockets to feed the mouths of these useless eaters that provide nothing to our society. And Andrew Yang, I kind of see on the other on the other side of that coin, on the income side. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's part of a whole tradition now. I think where um, Asians are being. You know, Ronnie Cheng, did, I don't know if you saw Ronnie Cheng, the comedian, like he he had a Netflix special where he was basically saying like, Asian people, you know, we're not, uh, we're not white, we're not black, we're like from this other part of the world and we come here and nothing here works and we just want shit to work and we don't care, we don't fucking care, we, we're impartial, I know you white and black people have like a beef, we don't care, we just want shit to work, we can be objective so why don't you just like litigate all your beef through us and we'll decide that's why you need an asian president you know <laughs> and, yeah that's what he said and you know that was yeah. very in line i almost felt like he was writing that for andrew yang you know not left not yeah. right but forward which is a very like yeah. not white not black but asian kind of yeah oh my gosh it's like yeah you, you know what this like uh this this multi-century long useless fight that you had over who the hell knows what listen i I'm not. I'm not into none of that. Okay, I don't know none of this left shit. I don't know this right shit. All I know is people need an income. I, I, wow, I, I totally did not see it that way until just now. Like, but like the perfect I mean, mediator I, for this for this I, war for this long simmering conflict. I give him a little bit of leeway because it's you know he is a comedian and it was a set, so it's not like I'm, I'm sure he's like you know just doing a bit. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna like uh, go out on a crusade to cancel somebody for making. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not, nor am I. I'm just saying, like, you know, it's time that we start examining the ideas a little bit, pick them apart, because. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I think it is important. Like, I, I, I don't think Andrew Yang's like an evil person or anything. But I think people are. Go I've gone a little too far in dunking on him online, because a lot of people who dunk yeah. on him, I'm like, well, what's your, what's what are your thoughts about it then? You know, mm -hmm. like, okay, so yeah. he didn't live up to what your expectations are, but. I don't know if dunking on him auto makes. Mm -hmm. I, I know we talk about this guy often, so I won't say his name, but I, I let's just say I saw a bunch of war supporting Asian people dunking on Andrew, and I was just kind of like, this is, you're, you're just making it worse, uh, guys. <laughs> yeah, because they're, they're not they're they're not fundamentally all that different, you know. Yeah. Um, they just they just knew that you know this was a dunkable moment, so they went in for the easy dunk. Right, 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 but, right. right. I, I, I take the view that I think Andrew Yang's ideas should be talked about seriously um, and not just, you know, wave them off as a basic bitch. Like, no, I think it's it's worth teasing apart why it is that, you know, some of these ideas are are both 
are both uh, appealing to a lot of people and also, in my opinion, the wrong way to go. You know, um, some may have a different view, but they're worth talking about. I don't think it's just I don't like this idea of people just going around going, Andrew Yang's an Uncle Chan and he's ain't like, OK, fine. You can make that accusation, but you got to build your case first. And yeah, I don't right. think that a lot of people who are dunking on him actually know what they're talking about. That kind of reminds me oh, of yeah, almost yeah, like sure. uh, there were some Warren supporters uh, and I'm not going to name them because, you know, I don't need the headache. But like there are some Warren supporters that just have these awful takes like these, these apps especially the ones who are um kind of going along with this talking point that well in countries that have single-payer health care they're also being ravaged by the COVID 19 crisis so what's the difference and on the <laughs> on the one hand it's like on the one hand like yeah you you do deserve to fucking get like dominique wilkins dunked on but on the other hand it's almost like i kind of i kind of feel like some of those dunks are giving a uh, leeway to white leftists to come out and say some really out of pocket shit about them too. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. L- leave that one up to us. You don't really need to be in this one. So I, I kind of get that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a problem. And uh, well, I don't know. I think the, <clears throat> my, <clears throat> my overall, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, view here is that this, uh, this pandemic definitely is one of the, like, I don't think we can, how do I say this? You know how like evolution supposedly like doesn't happen uh, in in incremental continuous steps. It's like these mega events that come, and there's like a um, a spurt of change that leads to Attention. like yeah, and <clears throat> or like some mega event, like a fucking asteroid hits, you know, and uh, the dinosaurs yeah. die out and the mammals <laughs> come to rule the planet or whatever. I mean, yeah. I think in a way culturally and politically that the pandemic is going to be a little bit like that that event that asteroid strike where like there's just so much built up oh, there's overgrowth and bullshit in our politics yeah. and in our culture that I think this event is going to be a bit of a reset button and it's not going to be all bad now nobody I would never of course wish for this to happen cuz people are going to die <laughs> you know and that's um yeah that's t- terrible but the you, I think it's. It, I think there is always going to be some change that's involved in this, and I, I for one, welcome there to be some change. Have you, you know? noticed that I've been? I, I haven't been keeping accurate track, and I probably should be doing this, but I call this one um, like exposed bullshit, where the emergency measures that are being taken in response to this crisis is like, oh. Oh, so you're telling me this was bullshit the entire time. Like, for example, like Canada has one of the highest, um, like we pay some of the highest rates for um, for cell phone service in the developed world. So if you like, there are no such things really like as unlimited data plans. We have what are technically unlimited data plans, but it's more like if you go over a certain amount, then your bandwidth is going to be throttled, yada, yada, yada. But if you go over, you can still be charged. Um, and then the, the rates that we pay uh, just for like basic service are outrageous. But uh, the uh, two of the largest carriers in Canada, um, Bell and Rogers, <clears throat> announced early on, I mean, to their credit, it was fairly early into the pandemic that, you know, obviously, since people are going to be home a lot more doing remote work, they're using their phones a lot more, that they're no longer going to be charging um, for overages, like going over hours or whatever but they're also going to restrict the lift the restrictions on data caps so it's like 
so you didn't really have to do this in the first place you were because if you if you if you do this now uh under the justifications you were giving for why you charge so much for data overages is like well it's costing us money and blah 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 but it's like but if you if you're lifting the caps now and it's not bringing you in danger of insolvency then this really was just bullshit profiteering oh or, yeah i see what you're saying yeah, yeah 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 or like um our minister of finance bill morneau i guess like had had some yeah. very frank and hard discussions with some of our largest banks and the larger ones, like uh, apparently like Royal Bank of Canada, I'm pretty sure it's like Bank of Montreal, Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce and a couple of others. Uh, we're talking about bringing down credit card interest rates because obviously people are strapped now. Maybe their hours are getting cut. Maybe some of them are unemployed and they're going to be relying on credit more. So they're going to, um, if people call in and ask for their credit card interest rate to be lowered, they would lower it. So it's like, Oh, so you really didn't have to charge a nineteen percent APR on your credit card. Yeah, they're, they're, you could you could have really gotten by with like let's say I'm just pulling numbers out of thin air. You could have gotten by with like fifteen, but you charge this much because it's fucking bullshit profiteering. Or this one I absolutely love. This one I've never been able to fucking understand. This I mean I, I do, but I don't like when I when I um got to like when I moved back to Canada to go to university, um I had to pay my own way through. And I was working, I mean, my, my daytime job was at Future Shop, which is uh, it, basically like Best Buy about a Future Shop. So you can call it like the Canadian version of Best Buy. It's pretty much the same thing, like, a, like an everything shop for electronics. And my nighttime job was working at, uh, as a bouncer at a nightclub. So on my daytime job, I worked behind the computer of peripherals desk. And the guy working next to me was a doctor, like an actual fucking physician from Pakistan. But because you like when you when you emigrate to Canada, you have to go through this this long ass. I, it was like eight or nine year process. Even though you've already like, first of all, like the human anatomy doesn't change just because you move from one country to another. Like I assume that all our bodies are more or less the same anatomically. Generally, yeah. we have the same uh, like medical pathologies that happen to us. Probably the same treatments or very similar treatments. So, how much of this is? having to train to acclimate to the uh, Canadian environment, like what our medical system is like, what instruments you're working with, the technology and so forth. How much of it is actually just like retraining to acclimate into that workplace? And how much of it is just protectionism from, yeah. uh, from associations, no, I mean, like, like from medical my, associations? But, but hold up, but hold up. So, thing. Oh. Yeah, I mean, and I was going to just get to my nighttime job. Like my nighttime job, I was working at a nightclub as a bouncer and one of the other bouncers was a fucking surgeon in Iran. So it's like, why, why, why this misallocation of labor now, because of the COVID crisis, I guess certain doctors, and I'm not sure what exactly credentials they need, but they can apply. Oh, I heard uh, about this. Yeah. Yeah. For like 30 day pathways to being able to practice, um, as long as it's under the supervision of a licensed Canadian doctor. So it's like, Oh, so you could have done this the entire time. But because we're in the middle of a fucking crisis, you just realized, hey, hang on a second. We've got a gigantic misallocation of labor. We've got physicians who are driving taxi cabs or working behind the peripherals desk at, well, we don't have Future Shop anymore, but like some computer store or working in a call center or cleaning floors at Walmart. Why are we, why are they doing that labor elsewhere rather than putting their skills to good use? I think, I think there's a couple things. I think work from home. That's another thing that a lot of people are going to be like. I thought you said the whole thing would collapse if everyone worked from home, you yeah. know? <laughs> and the other thing I think the big one for me is 
that the government doesn't have the money. We don't have the money to do Medicare for all. We don't have the we don't have the money to do uh, UBI. We don't have the money to do social programs. We're running out of money. Like Medicare is almost broke. All these things, Social Security is almost broke. We don't have any money. But then this comes along, and Congress is like, "Oh, uh, we, we need that two trillion dollars." Like yesterday, guys, <laughs> Boeing is going under. Like you know, and then within yeah, like literally three days, Congress like in a full bipartisan I, effort comes out with two trillion the, dollars. Uh, I would call it the the the, the, the beers effect, where you know, like the beers. They're this diamond company that that holds all of its supply. Yeah, you mean like the false scarcity thing? That, yeah, and tells yeah. you that it's it's worth three months of your salary or whatever. This is the same thing. This is like the De Beers effect of of like like oh wait, it didn't of really, money. It doesn't of really, money. All yeah. that was like bullshit. <laughs> I mean, if you ask me, I think that's how we got to this present moment was because of the 2008 to 2010 bailouts. Um, when, when the government gets really doesn't want to just like throw money at things because it, it it sets up the inevitable question, which is where is my bailout? I think of all the political questions asked about the economy over the past, I don't know, my whole life. That's the single best question I've ever heard is why can you come up with money to bail out corporations, but you keep telling me. Medicare is, you know, broke. Social Security is broke. We can't do government you know social what programs. Reminds me of? Did you ever read that Chris Hedges book, uh, Empires of Illusion? Uh, no, I've heard. Or I've not Empire read it. Yeah. 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 And so he uh, he basically just talks about how, like, you know, uh, America is just smoke and mirrors. But he does this really fascinating thing. And I think it's probably like the one of the most prescient insights I've seen into, I mean, it's not just American politics, really. It's like politics in just about any quote unquote Western country, but like, it's like, it's like WWE or back then WWF. It's like, um, like there's, there is, there is a real component to it. Like there is such thing as a functioning economy. There is a labor market. Like these things really do exist, but the political class has a role to play and so do the observers of the political class. So not just voters per se, but people who are super interested in politics, like the cable, uh, the cable news channels and uh, even like print news and magazines and so forth. It's almost like they're like the, the wrestling promoters. Like they know that there's a reality to it. Like wrestlers do take the bumps. They do like jump off the top rope. It does hurt when they hit the mat. Like it is actual physical work that is grueling but at the same time it's 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 a work it's a work like there's it it's real but it's not you're watching something that's a fabrication this is an entertainment product and i i kind of feel like american politics is like that well i mean a lot of our politics oh yeah that that reminds me of something for the sense of like there's like he talks a lot about that yeah yeah he talks about this book by daniel borstein called the image right he talks about the spec this the idea of the spectacle and right, I think right, it's right. the same idea. Yeah, it's the same idea where these aren't really real events, but they're they're also not not events. They're sort of manufactured events. Yeah, a lot of uh, the, the Frankfurt yeah. School uh, was really into that. Like Guy Debord uh, writes about that, um, uh, Umberto Eco and uh, Baudrillard write about that as well. That uh, you know the, we've replaced like actual reality with a spectacle. Like we're more interested in the spectacle than we are in the the hard realities but part of what is required uh to your point doug about this whole like the beers effect is yeah it, it does require like the vince mcmahon in this case you know donald trump to no there's no way that we could do it we can't afford it you know we don't want to bankrupt this country but then the moment this pandemic hits and we realize like hey we like our 
uh, you know, capital markets could completely fucking collapse if we don't do something quickly. Okay, so we have bipartisan support, and we are going to put together a package. It's going to save America. It's going to be beautiful, folks. Like, and it's like the the, immediate, the pivot, the one eighty from one day to the next makes no fucking sense whatsoever. But because we're all marks. And we're watching this and it's like, like we really want to believe because I think deep down, like everybody kind of knows it's true that we're watching a fucking illusion. Like none of this is actually real. And because we like we just have to believe it, we accept it. Yeah, I I think that's that that is the sort of uh, the Zizek story about um, what's his name? Niels Bohr. And he's he's got the he hangs a horseshoe over his door. Yeah. And for good luck, it wards off evil spirits and his friends are like, you know, you're a fucking physicist. Like you're the world's best physicist. Like, why would you believe in this sort of, uh, you know, this, this kind of this superstition? And he's like, oh, I don't believe it. But my person who told me to do it said, you don't, you don't have to believe it for it to work, which is the sort of, I think what's going on is like, it's not that we really buy into the spectacle. It's that we buy into the idea that everyone else buys into it like it's the yeah. emperor has no clothes kind of thing right oh like, you know what that's like is like um and people call me a bernie fucking supporter all the time and i think they kind of do that because i'm like on the left so i'm more sympathetic to bernie than i am for most candidates but um when pe- like when people say that they're like oh i want to vote for somebody like bernie but it's just not realistic that's they're, right it's not like yes. they're not even using their own like this is what i like and what i support they're like calculating what it is that other people like and what it is that other people support so because they're calculating other people's calculations then they kind of like gaslight themselves into believing that if they vote for bernie sanders then they're backing a losing candidate and there's nothing worse than ever backing a loser right like it's not like if i don't know you vote your conscience and it didn't work out at least you voted your conscience like no i want to back the person who wins even though there may be no material benefit to them whatsoever but it's like they're it's like they're placing a it's like a like on a facebook page like it means absolutely nothing whatsoever if like you, to them it, it's like uh filling out yeah. an ncaa tournament bracket they want to yeah be right. yeah exactly <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah it's like it's like it's like it's like um like like playing fantasy um ncaa brackets with your work colleagues and there's no money involved but you just get the benefit of being right. And I feel like a lot of people, <laughs> that's their that's their voting calculation. It's not like what affects yeah. me and what I believe. It's what do I think that other people think? But the thing is, if everybody's doing that, then it's just specul- It's just market speculation. And that's what we've turned politics right. into. I, I think that's it's absolutely right because they, they're, they're, they're always like, look, you, you know, when it comes to the Bernie versus uh, Biden thing, people are always like Biden can't win because the Americans won't vote for him. You know, what they want is X. They want, you know, say, but I don't actually have never met anyone who has been that person that we assume is out there who's like, I think Biden is, I, you know, I don't, I've never met anyone who's diehard Biden. Let's put it that way. No, before but everyone's uh, always assuming they're out there somewhere. Before Super oh, Tuesday, yeah. you couldn't find a Biden supporter. Like, I, like yeah. who were these people? I, 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 yeah. I I'm, I'm being honest with you. I didn't. I had not encountered a single person online <laughs> that was a Joe Biden supporter. Actually, not even Super Tuesday. It was South Carolina. Before South Carolina, yeah. you couldn't find them fucking anywhere. They were like, you know, they were ghosts. And then all of a sudden, after South Carolina, they're just like popping up out of the woodwork. And I don't think yeah. it's because there are people that suddenly created Twitter accounts and got enough visibility that they're showing up. It's just people started wanted to back the winner, even though yeah. it meant nothing to them whatsoever. 
Yeah. No, I agree with Good that. Good talk. It's just kind of like. Yeah. Yeah. After that super, uh, when when when, like Biden was getting all that support, I was just kind of like, the the argument that they make is that like you know he's presidential and blah blah, blah and all that other stuff, yeah. and I'm just kind of like, first of all, a there's no real big Biden fans, but b like I can't think of a like if I was a Trump supporter and I supported Trump, I don't think I I I don't see how this would flip me to the other side like this. Like Biden's exactly the same thing, but you know, it's just kind of like, why would I vote for him over Trump? Like, like if I were a Trump supporter, I don't see the kind of like, or even if I was on the fence, I don't, I just don't see the pull of like, oh, Biden is this guy that I definitely will vote for over Trump. Like, I, I just don't see where that logic comes from. Did, did you see that video where it was so bad uh, that people thought it was a joke, but it was actually serious uh, or? heartfelt it was the one where like all these democrats centrist democrats come out as the avengers in the final scene of like the it was last so avengers. fucking cringe yeah. i thought i yeah, it took me so i I, I stared at that video for 10 fucking minutes before i realized <laughs> oh wait they actually meant to like this is not yeah. ironic we're trying to rally yo, feelings about this when i tell you first of all that like they put bernie's face over thanos so the 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 dude that wanted to kill half the universe is now the Jewish guy. But then the other part that like got me, like I almost, <laughs> I almost like passed out into a rage coma was they had Jim Clyburn. They put his face over the Wakandans, which was bad enough with this fucking face, but underneath like the South Carolina flag. So oh, like the God. flag of fucking, sl- but then, but this, this part was one that this is where I was Wait, rolling, so they okay? replaced the Wakanda flag with the South Carolina flag? Yes. <laughs> yes. No, no, there's no flag. Cause remember when all the, when all the people are coming out, there's no flags. Like the flags didn't just appear in midair over like the Wakandans or like, uh, oh, I see. over like, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the, the masters of the mystic arts or whatever, but this is the part that fucking killed me. Okay. Sure. So Wong from Dr. Strange, because Andrew Yang hadn't backed anybody, they didn't have an Asian person to slot into that spot. So they didn't <laughs> put anybody over Wong's face. It was just, it was just fucking... him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, That's the Asian representation me, we need. So, so to me, the funny part was like, I was like, I know exactly what the thought process was here. Cause they like, they put Simone Sanders' face over Ant-Man and they put like Joe Biden's face over, I, th- I, th- I think it was Captain America and like Warren's face over like uh, Iron Maiden and so on. But like, I think what they were, the, 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 the white progressive like weighing of the scales here was, okay, but everyone has like a face over a superhero. So we should put some, someone's face over Wong. But if we do that with a white person, we're now we're whitewashing Wong out. <laughs> so we need an Asian person, but oh shit, we have no Asian people. All right. So if I do this, it's going to look stupid. But if I do this, it's going to look really fucking racist. All right. Let me just look stupid instead. <laughs> that was the part. That's what killed me. <laughs> yeah. Cause they, they were thinking about the Scarlett Johansson thing, right? They were like, wait, we can't, we can't, we don't want to fuck the video up with that. Um, yeah. But I think, I think, you know, in a way it is telling how people think about Biden because I think, he is part of the same sort of sort of Clinton centered clique that I think Obama now is a part of um, the Clinton, um, both Clintons, um, Obama and Biden being sort of like it's almost like Bill Clinton was like Iron Man and Obama was like, I don't know, another one of the major fucking marvel franchise 
heroes mm-hmm. Thor or some shit, and Hillary Clinton was you know I don't know Captain someone. Marvel, Captain Marvel, <laughs> and Biden. They, they mowed Simone Sanders Ant Man. So like that was that actually was wild to me because yeah. it was like a, a week and a half after that video where some protester ran up on the stage behind Joe Biden and Simone Sanders took off from like the three point stance that you see a I linebacker saw. do. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, that was oh, that was yeah. that was actually perfect. That was totally perfect. The the, uh, the face over. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that she that, that was pretty. She had quick reflexes, but um, oh, she she fucking big man that lady into oblivion, like never to be heard from again. I don't think that lady been. on the stage survived the encounter. Thanks <laughs> for her. Like Simone Sanders saw a paycheck go up in smoke. She was like, uh-uh, no, 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 no. I'm too close to getting paid. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you Wait, and your was, veganism. Was, was that person like uh like a milk person, like one of those crazy milk yeah, people? Yeah, one of those people? like anti dairy people. And I mean, listen, <laughs> on the th- on the face of it, like being a black person, you would think that like, well, you know, me and dairy don't really have much in common anyway. Like we're natural enemies, <laughs> but at the same time, PETA is just so obnoxious that they make me actually pine oh, for dairy God. products. Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, it's, it's a lot of publicity stunts and stuff, but um, yeah, like Biden to me is just trying to like the whole thing, the whole franchise needs to be retired. Like this what do you guys- centrist, th- this whole Clintonian view of like American normalcy. Like needs he's to be gonna retired. get he's so assuming that he's a nominee, he's gonna get so fucking washed in the general. Like Biden. And I, oh and my! I've, God, been, oh my I, I, I've been saying this. I've been saying this since like last month, since like uh, since March, right? Where just like you were saying before that uh, people were asking Andrew Yang, you know, is UBI going to cover these people? Is it, is it going to cover non non residents? Is it going to cover people who are in prison? So on and so on. But the moment that Donald Trump and his team can find a way to do that to Medicare for all, they're going to fucking announce it. Now he doesn't actually have to do Medicare for all. Just like, you know, he doesn't actually have to build a wall. Like the wall is not built, but people are still like lauding him for wanting to build this wall. So, if he finds a uh, calculation by which he can announce Medicare for all and leave out the people that his supporters hate, he's going to fucking say it. Like, and the, 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 the image that's just killing me right now is him on a debate stage with Joe Biden. Like he's setting up with the lectern and Biden is like barely holding his scrawny, his scrawny body uh, (laughs) upright. And he's going to say, you know what? I don't like, I don't like looking around and seeing Americans going broke they're not able to make their bills they can't cover their bills they can't pay for the mortgages they can't cover their rent because they're paying for this disaster this chinese made i guess he can't say chinese made anymore because he's already he made peace over that one because of this disaster they're losing their homes so we know what we're gonna do we're gonna extend medicare for all that's what we're gonna do folks and then joe biden is gonna turn his bony fucking neck in donald trump's direction and say but how are you gonna pay for it jack and that's it. That's a wrap. That's a complete it's a whole yeah. fucking election right there. That's yeah, it. Yeah. 50 state washout. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, because you know, f- people forget that the uh the Nazi party, it's all, actually they were actually called the the National Socialists. Oh my they- fucking god. I okay, t- okay. I I know I'm taking up a lot of time here, but I have yeah. a lot of these thoughts that have just been like knocking around the inside of my brain pan for fucking weeks, okay? Two yeah. things. One, I was like, "Yo, okay, cuz uh, this was right after and I think, Tina, you and I talked about this right after uh, uh, Trump announced that um, any uh, federal-backed um, mortgage programs were going to put a freeze on foreclosures. 
So uh, any any house that was backed by like, I'm pretty sure Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were included in this, but also uh, if there were like HUD backed mortgages that uh, they would put a freeze on foreclosures, which, and you were around for this, um, right up until like 2009, 2010, people were asking the Obama administration, like, hey, can you put a freeze on foreclosures? And Obama looked at him and said, uh, nope, I don't think we can do that. Uh, we want to yeah. make sure that uh, the markets get back on track. And if we do that, uh, it's going to fuck things up. So, yeah. sorry about your <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Donald Trump actually outflanked Obama on the left on that front, right? So, I said, this is this is making me, like, break. I, I'm having a sh- fucking stroke right now. What do you call it when the people that you've been calling white supremacists or white nationalists for the last four years, what happens when a white nationalist decides that they are okay with socialist aspects what do you call that hmm yeah national socialism it's nazism <laughs> there's, there's no reason to think that you know fascists can't engage in uh populist uh state directed programs right it, yeah. it, there's there's no there's no inherent monopoly that you know quote right. good leftists have when it comes to deploying state wealth for the benefit of people right it's yeah. not that's not the that you know I, I think that's right I, I don't think it's um I don't think that Trump announcing you know UBI and Medicare for all makes him left friendly I think that makes him very dangerous even more dangerous yeah. uh, and it's the fact that the centrist Democrats the Democratic Party doesn't want to match them with that you know they don't want to they they they're they've been so lured and so corrupted um into their brand of corporate uh, been, politics. Because the, the Democratic Party is not a party. It's a consultancy firm. Like, it's, I mean, and yeah, I, I know that you've I, worked I with them, Tina, so I don't want to be, mm-hmm. like, too hard. No, 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 I'm, I'm not partisan on that. Uh, okay. they, it's pretty bad, you know? Yeah, yeah it's, it's basically <laughs> just, like, it, it is the revolving door that exists at the nexus of, like, Re- careerist politicians yes. yeah. and uh, corporate lobbies. Like, that's pretty much what the Democratic Party is. They, that, that's who, there are a few hundred people that gatekeep Democratic politics at that particular nexus. And if you're not willing to walk through those doors, or at least grovel at the feet of the people that are going to let you through those doors, you're not getting in. And that's pretty much what just, happened just, to the Sanders campaign. Just look at all the people that were associated with Obama that served uh, in his administration J- and see J- where they are now. Jay fucking Carney is the senior VP at Amazon and yeah. and and ratted on the uh, the the, uh, the assistant manager at, I think it was like a Chicago warehouse. His name was Christian Smalls and he was bringing attention to the unsafe working conditions that he was saying that... Uh, that I saw that, his, yeah. ...his uh, fulfillment center... And he was try- like he was trying to create labor action, p- a possible walkout, so that they could demand better working conditions and more safe and healthy working conditions. And uh, Bernie Sanders tweeted about this and said, like, you know, we uh, we should call on Amazon to make sure that yada yada yada. And then Jay Carney quote tweets him, copying another senior VP from Amazon, mind you. They said they're the almost the same thing word for word, saying, "Well, I'm really disappointed that you would have said that, Senator Sanders. Did you know that Christian Smalls did that? He violated workplace safety standards, and he was told to stay home on quarantine. Oh, so yeah, that, that was the former Obama White House press secretary. Yeah. That is yeah. like that is now the fucking mouth of Sauron. And the, like, <laughs> but these are the same people that believe that they're on the side of the American working class. I don't I don't understand it. Well, yeah. they they think they're on the side of quote America. I mean, I think they're big. They they get real into the whole like America as they they talk about America as a sort of monolithic uh, idea, 
yeah. and uh, that we don't have divergent interests, that we're all in this together. I mean, they always use the unity talk. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it sounds I, good on stage. Well, it's like uh, Donna Brazil said, we have to bring Wall Street and Main Street together. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you said that. I mean, oh. Teen, you said this on several occasions, but I'm, I'm beginning to think more and more that it's true. Like, I feel like, I feel like Democrats in general, they actually, like, especially the elite Democrats, I feel like um, a lot of them actually don't mind um, Trump being president in terms of their personal lives. They mind him because, in my opinion, I think he's kind of exposing the play. It's kind of like the COVID-19, like kind of revealing the certain weaknesses of, of, of our system. I think like Trump kind of like his existence kind of shows the weaknesses of capitalism and like of like corporate interests tied with with government stuff. Um, not not because he's like actively trying to show all that stuff. I think just through his actions and through his just like like you know just craziness, like all this, he's like leaking the playbook of like how you know uh, the the elite keep us in line. And I think that's why they don't like him. But they actually don't mind him that much because um, you know it, it provides something for them to dunk on. Like it provide like they all they have to do is kind of like hang back enjoy the policies that they're that he's implementing but just like decry them out in public and like it's it's yeah. like minimal cost to them to like be like oh he's doing bad things guys he's like trump orange man bad so like you know yeah. we're, we're actually the good guy still but but trust well, us yeah, we're, we're, we're I, I think i think i think in in the because there are smoky back rooms like that 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 is the thing you know and i think that the there is a lot of of there, he's giving out a lot of goodies, like the the trillion dollar tax cuts and stuff. And I think this stimulus bill is going to be very uh, well received by uh, corporate elites. Uh, right. But what the what the Democrats will do, and they'll do the Pelosi sort of the Pelosi clap and sort of publicly disrespect Trump for the pleasure of liberals, right. is this idea that Trump is um a sexist and a racist and he is um an embarrassment and he has bad manners and he's boorish and liberals get off on that like they love making like hating on trump because he's not sophisticated and he is you know he has shitty i don't think they understand he's so much better like he's so much nicer at it than they are he's he's so nice like don't keep in mind i think he is the one of the worst human beings on earth and will probably lead us into fucking armageddon but the thing is he he understands the game like he i mean he was involved with the wwe him and vince mcmahon are really good friends and he understands the way the game is played so like for example you talk about you know democrats having very similar interests or whatever i'm pretty sure that lloyd blankfein the, the former ceo of goldman sachs is also I mean, maybe he like you know kind of plays both sides, but he leans towards like the like the socially liberal side. I would say, at least he appears he appears yeah. to, and he's also like friendly with a lot of Democrats as well. But um, I could I like I could imagine Donald Trump, for example, saying, "Yeah, folks, we're going to do Medicare for all," and then Lloyd Blankfein tweets something about you know this is uh, really nice and everything, but a it's not realistic, and b how much is it going to cost. And then Donald Trump is at some <laughs> fucking campaign rally out in, you know, like Nebraska somewhere. He's like, folks, did you hear what little Lloyd said the other day? I don't know if you heard him, but you have to get down on one knee and like lean down because Lloyd Blankfein is like four foot nine. You have to like yeah. lean down really close to the ground and hear him say, 
How are you gonna pay for it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's just he's yeah. like he's just gonna make fun of these people. Like the, like all of yeah. their um their their manufactured because I don't believe it's real outrage really. It's just that he's saying the quiet parts out loud. All of their manufactured outrage, all of their um you know eloquent Twitter posts or Washington Post columns or whatever. He's just gonna make fun of them and people are gonna laugh with them and that'll be the end of it. Because the worst thing that you can actually do. Yeah to one of those established Democrats is that you don't have to disprove them on logic or reason, or you don't have to out debate them. You just have to make it funny to make fun of them. And that's why they get like, that's why they flip out so much at the quote unquote dirtbag left crowd is because I think for a lot of, a lot of people on the, I don't know if you want to call it the dirtbag left or the socialist left or whatever, or whatever sort of intersections thereof. The chapel but, listeners. <laughs> well, th- yeah, but then there's also a lot of people who are like on the socialist left, on the communist left and so forth. But basically mm-hmm. anybody who's like left of progressive, like left of neoliberal progressive, mm-hmm. just understands how fucking ridiculous these people are. And I don't know that they spend a lot of time trying to out argue them so much as like the reason that uh, there's so many beefs on social media is because they get dunked on so much. And I don't really think it's that they are they feel harassed or that they feel intimidated or although there is like a lot of nasty shit that people say but i think what really hurts them the most is that they're made to be a laughing stock like i think what really bothered jay carney because he responded to abby wilkinson uh, uh who uh she responded to his tweet like snitching on that worker who's trying to organize labor action at amazon but he, he zeroed in on one woman a- abby wilkinson uh who said to him fuck you and he was like oh very classy statement you know, it's like, why did he respond to her out of every like out of everybody that was making very impassioned arguments for why it was wrong for him to do that? The one person who said to him, the the, the woman who said, fuck you, that's the one he zeroed in on. Like, why did that bother him so much? And it's because he knows that despite his 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 prolific career resume, this one woman doesn't give a fuck about him. And she's mm-hmm. like, no, you're, you're actually a reprehensible human being. And I hate you. I hate what you stand for. I think that hurt him somewhere deep down and he had to respond to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he said something like, um, oh, very classy. He said three words. Okay. She said to him two words, fuck you. And I was like, um, Abby's statement had fewer words and it was a stronger statement. So point to Abby. Right. But yeah. like that's, that's what bothers these people so much. So I think like going into a general election with somebody like Joe Biden being backed by a coterie of people who like they're careerists, they like believe in the power of their resumes and they're, you know, they're, uh, um, they're alma maters and so forth. They, they feel really important around the bubble of people that are there to make them feel important, which thereby makes themselves feel important as well. They oftentimes are surrounded by people of color who don't really know what it's like to be marginalized, but can understand the marginalization aspect because maybe they have a cousin who fucking grew up in a low income neighborhood who, who knows, but like they believe that they actually have the finger on the pulse of like the real America. And here comes all of these people to the left of them who are like, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about and you're ridiculous. And that's what bothers them so much because I think Donald Trump is able to do to them the same thing that the people on the farther left do, which is just say, these people are a joke. These people are like, you i i wouldn't trust them to babysit my dog much less run government i think that commonality is what makes them feel so hard done by i agree with that yeah i think there 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 definitely is um there they were educated into i think uh a you know they were educated in a sophisticated way to buy into certain ideas that are uh, sometimes ca- what they th- would say counterintuitive and sophisticated and stuff. And when that gets exposed as just actually bullshit, 
you were educated on bullshit. You were asked to promulgate bullshit. That it wasn't that you're smarter and more insightful, but that you're just better. You were you were taught in a big, you know, you were you were you were not trained in economics. Let's say you were yeah. trained in sales. Right. Really, you know, I think that's the fear. You were trained to bullshit with intersectional language. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's I think the that... part. What's, what's that? Wait, go on, team. No, no, go on, Doug. Yeah. No, I, I guess like that. I, I I was just like thinking about all this, and like I'm I'm finding a commonality to I think how Yang gangers are now reacting to the the chagrin of Asian Americans. I think Yang gangers see themselves as like you know, humanity forward and blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, they, they, they see all these things, but, and then, so when they get all this pushback from Asian Americans, I feel like they, they don't know how to handle it. They, they're just no. kind of like, wait, what? <laughs> but he's Asian. Yeah I, saw like, that. Uh, yeah. I saw that in your mentions when like people were like, I saw white people getting mad at you, Doug, when you were uh, telling me, like when you basically said like, yo, like if you're, if you're down with this shit, like fuck you and white folks who are like propagating it, fuck you too. And they got so mad at you. I was like, yeah, Doug yeah. just like jumped on Doug just like jumped up and said, fuck your couch. And that's what got them so upset. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I, I think it is like if if you were I, I mean, I, I, I do think that if you um you know were really heavily bought into uh Andrew Yang and were defending him against this whole because you know, he kept using the math Asian thing and you know, I think a yeah. lot of Asians were like, you know, shut the you know, they got pretty kind of hardcore about it and they were like you know shut the fuck up like what are you doing you're not you know you walk the you talk the talk but you don't walk the walk like andrew does and you know and everyone's like no he's a fucking he's trading on model minority bullshit and yeah i think after a certain point when i feel like i like that's why i'm writing this article like for for mm. plan a just because like i feel like they can't say any of that stuff to me because I almost like am a carbon copy of Andrew Yang. Like we grew up in the same town. We have like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. same kind of like educational background. We both worked in finance. Like, like I know exact, like I know exactly. Yeah. You don't have like an identity people. agenda against him. Right. And, yeah. and I think that a lot of people who really are defending Andrew, they're not defending him about any particular a policy or view that he's advancing they're just trying to protect their investment they're just trying to right. be like you know oh i wasn't made a, i i what i didn't have the wool pulled over my eyes this whole time or it i didn't i don't actually buy into all of the bullshit model minority stuff that i uh actually on the surface agree with and i've railed against it myself i didn't fall for that right yeah, but actually like because you know as a yank supporter i will say it was like even when those things were happening, I was just kind of like, okay, okay, well, this this is an important, this is kind of minor, like compared to the grand scheme of things, like you know, of of trying to curb the the threat of automation. Um, to to me, as as a Yang supporter, I was like, okay, it's it's collateral damage for now, whatever. But but I think for me, it was just kind of like after after the Joe Biden like support and all this other stuff, like of him going on CNN and. And whatever, I was just kind of like, oh man, like I felt really betrayed, but it did take me a while to be like, okay, I can't, I can't like but, even but, but, publicly to, support to, this person anymore. Yo, to mitigate I, that, I, to, I will to... say that when I watched, because I was I was watching um, the uh, the the coverage, I. Uh, was it Super Tuesday he, that he endorsed Biden, or was it like the week after? I forget. But it there was. Were... 
a week after, I think. On, on yeah, March yeah. when there was like an, another rash of elections uh, very shortly after. Yeah, 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 yeah. you're right, you're right. And uh, yeah, so when I was watching it, um, and he said, yeah, and that's why at this time I would like to endorse Joe Biden. And I couldn't stop myself. I was like, you bitch ass. Like, I can't. <laughs> you know what he's like, doing. You know what he's might, doing. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, he, he's he's trying to, it, it, I, I saw it so clearly. Like, he's trying to find himself a side avenue into whether, it, I don't know if it's like a cabinet position or some staffer position or whatever, but he's trying to, Did like, it, wait, grab on the coattails. Sort of like, uh, wasn't there some sort of, like, thing where he talked in a podcast where he said, like, Joe Biden promised me some sort of cabinet position? And, it, and somebody pointed out, like, no, that's illegal to actually say that out loud. <laughs> I did see that, yeah. <laughs> I didn't pay much attention to it because stuff like that, you'll find out, like, maybe it was a more complicated statement or it's just outright right. false. So I tend to let that stuff kind of slide by me, but I did see something to that effect. And I was like, that wouldn't actually, it wouldn't surprise me if the two of them were just that thick headed that that conversation yeah. actually transpired and he let it slip. I, I will yeah. say. To, to you know, just to mitigate what you're saying, Doug, is that if because the, uh, to the extent there's parallels here with like Obama, I would say that if Andrew Yang were actually in a position to win, which he's he never was, and anyone who ever thought right. that was like deluding themselves, but if he if right. he actually was in a position to deliver a win and become the first Asian American president. I have to say that that's a different calculation for me. I have to now start thinking about the reality of that. And I have to start saying like, okay, maybe there are some uh, uh, things that we've got to uh, compromise on, you know, because it's fundamentally a compromised position. And, sure. and so if he actually had the, you know, the, the chances that Obama had, I would... Mm -hmm personally feel a little bit differently about him but the whole time i was like you know this whole the whole thing's a dog and pony show for his own personal clout right like there's no way he's gonna win i don't know why everyone's all getting excited about someone who's not gonna win um yeah so i think with obama it was just a little bit different because he was actually president that's a very you know right. to me that's a very different thing but you know anyway um we're at like an hour to, 40 uh, yeah. oh yeah any closing thoughts y'all um no, I was actually gonna, mm -hmm. I was going to throw one more out there, but I guess yeah. we're out of time. But I was going to ask you what you thought about the whole uh, like landlords conversation because I'm seeing like oh yeah yeah I'm seeing I'm seeing a little bit of like weirdness coming out of that, but maybe we can save that for another time. I think that's a big conversation. Yeah, yeah. I, I I we talked about it a little bit before. Yeah, we should get on. I, let's let's let that um, conversation play out a little bit on Twitter and then maybe revisit the. <laughs> <laughs> the new red guards you know yeah 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 <laughs> let's, new, let's, yeah exactly and then I'm i see hints up, of uh, cultural revolution in that you know to, in in the way people are talking about I, stuff and, i know I for like, a fact that like yeah no Sorry, i feel like ahead. there's a bunch of like white people who are who just don't want to pay their rent and are fully able to <laughs> who are getting on I know, Twitter I, about this and I, I know that if i like uh you, you know get up and start talking about this further it's gonna be like I'm not making it through the first struggle session. I know this for a fact. So I've already accepted my lot. <laughs> like when, when the terror comes, it's going to be my head in the basket. Yeah. 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 <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. This, this was fun guys. This is fun. We should, we should uh, reconvene and uh, discuss more. I kind of like just chopping it up on a, but on a bunch of different topics that are on our mind. Cause it's Saturday afternoon and on, I, I'm stuck in my apartment. I can't go out. So yeah, I was going to say like, do we fun. have anything better to do? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So might as well do these longer pods and stuff. Because um, I don't think our listeners really got anything to do either. So uh, yeah, that was fun. Um, all, right. all right, Doug, Andre, thanks a lot for coming on.
Yeah, man. Thank you for having me.